Welcome, everybody. This is a special community call. We're going to go ahead and do the recording like we did a couple of weeks ago with uh, Miles Young, Miles Younger, excuse me, from the U of Digital. Today we have Shiv from the U of Digital. Hi, Shiv. How are you? Hi, Ellen. Very happy to be here. So before we get into the interview, when we have a community call, we like to do a two wins and a challenge. And so does anybody in the community wants to do to share the two wins and their challenge? And then we'll have Shiv share his as well. Who wants to who wants to share theirs? I can go first. You want me to go first? <laughs> if you want to. Yeah, go ahead. So wait, two wins from like my past week and a challenge? Um, yeah. So it could be in the last couple of weeks, right? Or in the last month, what are two wins professional or personal that you want to share? I'll give you one of each, uh, professional win. Uh, we are very excited that we're going to be working with the Yahoo team. So, oh, cool. uh, so that's a new, new, uh, customer for us, a new set of learners. Uh, it's also near and dear to my heart because I worked at AOL for 10 years. So I know a lot of people there. I have a lot of old friends. And finally, you know, we have an opportunity to work together. So mm-hmm. that's my professional win. Personal win. I think I really nailed my wife's birthday. Like, I think I did a really good job this time. <laughs> what did and, you do? <laughs> you no, know, it, was, it was a little bit more like intangibles this time. You know, in the past, you know, it's like, oh, buy a nice uh, present. And like, that's good. But yeah. this time it was a little bit more like, you know, I wrote her something nice. And that was good. Oh, um, that's nice. Yeah. And that was, I think that was a huge personal win. Um, and then uh, challenge, you know, we have, uh, I'll go back to professional. We have a, uh, a customer we've been working with for a long time. I won't name them. They have some new leadership that has come on board. Oh boy. Okay. And the new leadership obviously wants to make their imprint. They want yeah. to have, stand. Uh, they don't really understand the purpose of our partnership with the company. Um, and that's, becoming a bit challenging. So having to wrangle that is uh, fun times. I always work for ad agencies for the most part and then some brands recently. And one of the main reason why we would lose a big contract, let's say a two, three year contract in the agency is because new management took over. Mm-hmm. It, it yeah. almost never fails. It almost never fails. Um, I mean, some cases is like poor performance, right? They were not happy with performance for some reason. But like most of the time, every time we'd be like, oh, here's the new CMO and new, the new media VP. And we're like, ah, shit, it's about to pop yeah. up. <laughs> we're going to give them about three months and then something's going to happen. And then we're not going to have these clients anymore. Yep. Um, yep. That sounds about right. Yeah. Hopefully that was that. That's Hopefully it's just a challenge of getting to know them and trust yeah. them and nothing too drastic. Yeah. We'll figure it out. It's yeah. fine. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing your two wins and a challenge. I'll go ahead. Um, my two wins is that I'm surviving being eight months pregnant and working, which is really great. And I've locked in being six hours productive in a day. Whoa. Um, Very yeah. Impressive. yeah. So I refuse to work anything above eight hours. I mean, Good. six hours. And what I did this week is take a couple of days to take like a 20 minute nap. Y'all, y'all have heard me talk about naps. You have to take 20 minutes naps once in a day, like once in a while in the middle of your day, because it's, it's worth it. It's worth it. Let me tell you, it's worth it. See, I love naps, Ellen, but my problem with the 20 minute nap is like, I just can't execute it. Like I don't have enough discipline <laughs> to lay down. And then 20 minutes later, especially if I actually am able to fall asleep, 
to then just pop right back up and do your thing. I know it works. I, I, I read about it and my friends do it. And like, I've even done it sometimes where it's like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, that actually worked great. And I feel great. But the act of getting up at minute 20 <laughs> is, too, is too much for me to overcome, you know? So, I mean, it takes time, right? And now I feel like my body's used to like 20, 30 minutes naps. So it'll just wake up. It'll That's just wake true. up. So like, I think it was on Tuesday, I had a doctor's appointment. I came home. I was like, I'm exhausted. I can't even log in right now. So I went to take a nap and I think I took a 35 minute nap. So, but I woke up about like two, three minutes before my alarm went off. Oh, off. wow. That's guess, amazing. Don't y'all hate that though in the morning when you're like, your alarm is at 6.15, but you wake up at 6.06 or 6.05. That's some BS. I needed an extra 10 minutes, but anyway. All right. So my second win is that I've been having some pretty cool calls uh, with like some people in the community. And then um, we're going to launch another program in April where, you know, the reach and frequency program is where we teach people that just want to pivot into programmatic advertising, but don't know where to start. And so there's an investment for them to join. And so we're launching another program and I already have like three people that have emailed me about interest. I'm like, wow, I didn't even start promoting. I'm, I'm pretty quick, pretty excited about that. Um, and then the challenge has been, I'm going to say revenue growth. Q1 has been slow, not because of layoff guys, but it's just been one of those things where it's like, oh, some people are traveling. Some people is like, signed a contract before you start traveling. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things. So that's yeah. been a challenge, but it's a good learning curves, I would say. Like how to prepare for Q2 and how to prepare for Q1 2024. So I like took a lot of notes of what to do and not to do. Yeah. So it's, it's a win. It's like a, a challenging win. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, right? Uh, every time you call out a challenge in the back of your mind, you know, that if you can get past that challenge and learn from it, it's a win, you know? Yeah. So turning challenges into wins, I think is, is crucial. Exactly. Exactly. Well, let's hop into the interview. As always, guys, if you have a question, you can drop it in the comments or you can DM me privately and I can ask that question if you rather do that. Uh, but Shiv, let's have a quick introduction, who you are, how you got where you got, and uh, maybe a goal for the year. Oh, that's good. Um, okay, a little background on me. So I, uh, I've i been in digital advertising, uh, ad tech my whole career. Uh, I was at ad.com to start my career, which was one of the OG kind of performance ad networks. You know, I like to say we were doing programmatic before programmatic was a word. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, that was part of AOL. So I was really at AOL for about 10 years in operations and sales, sales leadership. I was at Criteo for a couple of years leading uh, East sales in the US. Uh, And then five years ago, I decided to start uh, this company. So my company is called U of Digital. Started it, you know, A, I realized I love teaching. I love training. I wanted to do that full time. Um, Two, I wanted to give back more. Uh, I wasn't getting that through my corporate jobs uh, very much. And so, you know, one thing that we do at U of Digital is we always give back to education related causes. in the form of donations. Uh, and then last but not least, uh, probably most important, like I saw a real market need in digital advertising for upskilling and knowledge. Um, you know, I think it's a really complicated space. It moves fast, especially now there's all these like new areas of the ecosystem that are emerging and colliding into each other. So yeah. you know, TV, audio, MarTech, cloud, uh, you know, there's all these new disciplines that people like struggle to understand. 
and have to understand in order to do their jobs effectively. And their companies have to understand them in order to properly, you know, grow and, and reach their goals. And so, you know, our job is to grease those wheels of the industry by up-leveling everybody, by upskilling folks uh, and organizations on the landscape, on the technologies, uh, on the industry in general. Yeah. And did you tell us how you started in programmatic? Like you I just, uh, <laughs> I went to a job fair. Uh, I was, you know, a college kid. I went to a job fair. I was like, I want to work in tech, uh, you know, and I was fortunate enough summer after junior year, I had an internship at Google. So I got some exposure and I was like, okay, well, I, I really want to work in tech. I didn't really care about working in ad tech. I just wanted to work in tech, but I went to a job fair and there were advertising.com was there. And, you know, I didn't have a great GPA, honestly. And they were like, well, we'll, you know, we'll interview you. Uh, and apparently I did well in the interview. So I got, that's, that's, I, you know, it's like most people, most people fell backwards into ad tech. They didn't like seek it out. So, yeah, that's an interesting story. And, and y'all, I don't know if I've ever shared that here, but three and a half years ago, when I realized like in 2019, early 2019, I was working for this agency and it was very toxic. And I told my husband by the end of the year, 2019, I'm only going to freelance contract with myself. And so somebody told me about We Are Rosie and one of the We Are Rosie person told me like, you know, if you're hesitant to doing this full time, you can talk to a few people. And I was put in contact with Shiv and I got on a call with Shiv. Mar- it was in March. I just came back. To- I just found the notes. Let me pull them up. It was uh, March 2019 and Shiv was one of the first people I talked to. And I asked him like, for real, for real, like I'm thinking about doing this. And one of my main reasons is because yeah, the- March 5th to 2019. and I don't want to do only activation. I want to train people. I really like training people. And Shiv told me straight up how we did. He was like one of the first people to give a visual of what could be in our industry. And he did it first and he's doing it great. And he's paving the path for other people like myself. So thank you so much, Shiv. Thank you. Thanks for yes. saying that. It means a lot. I mean, I, I always yeah. love talking to you. I'm very inspired by what you built too, Helen. So I'm, I'm <laughs> excited you. to participate in this. Thanks for having me on. He's going to give us access to the free version of the newsletter, I think. So I'll add that on in the show description. And for my people on the community call, I'll share that sometime next week uh, in Slack. Um, but strongly recommend his newsletter. And that's why he's here to talk about uh, the latest and greatest in CTV and OTT world, right? I love his newsletter because he gives not only like a quick recap of like, this is what you missed, this is what you should know, but he also breaks it down because let's be honest, we all speak English and we all have so many years in writing and reading, but sometimes some articles just don't make no damn sense. So Shiv demystified for us. (laughs) And then he gives his professional opinion about like, hey, this is how you want to put this into perspective. And so let's start with like, all right, what are the... three or five things we should know so far that have happened in 2023 when it comes to streaming, when it comes to maybe audience fragmentation and streaming, what would be like, oh, this is what's happening. This is what's happening. Yeah, it's a great, great question. So um, my mind first, first and foremost goes to measurement, um, CTV measurement. So obviously last year, uh, and I think actually the year before that was a pretty pivotal year uh, because Nielsen started kind of falling apart a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. So Nielsen had a lot of financial struggles. They split the company mm, yeah, up. Yep. Um, and then they they basically got, you know, lo- they lost their accreditation um, from the MRC because of, you know, some issues they had for, you know, counting audiences during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
as they lost our accreditation, we just saw this huge gold rush into CTV measurement from, you know, video amp and iSpot and, uh, you know, TV squared, data plus math, et cetera. So um, what we saw is, is like, okay, well, Nielsen, which has forever dominated television measurement, and the assumption was always that they would dominate online television measurement, digital yeah. television measurement, um, all of a sudden that wasn't the case anymore, right? And and there was already, you know, iSpot has been around for a while. Video Amp's been around for a while. So like these things have been brewing, but they really had their moment, right? Of just like, okay, well, Nielsen's falling apart. Let's rush in. And so what we saw during, I think, last year's upfronts and what we're going to see in this year's upfronts um, is that a lot of companies, you know, kind of led by, I'd say NBC has been mm -hmm. a big leader here. Um, but they're saying, listen, we're not going to just use Nielsen anymore to to do audience guarantees uh, in the upfronts, we're going to use alternative currencies, right? So, um, you know, we're going to work with iSpot and iSpot is going to be our, our measurement provider of record to be able to say, yes, we hit your demographic guarantees or we did not. And that's huge. That is huge for the industry that shakes things up, that shakes, uh, basically it shakes up how we transact uh, these ads because, you know, the, the way a lot of uh, OTT CTV is transacted on. It's not just, hey, you pay a CPM. It's mm -hmm. you buy it based on guarantees, just like television. Mm -hmm. And if the measurement of that guarantee has changed fundamentally, like the, the methodology of it, the data behind it, um, the efficacy of it, et cetera, then that changes the industry tremendously, mm -hmm. right? So we're still in midst of, midst of that. I know OpenAP right now is working on kind of like standardization of currencies, uh, but that's one big, big, big topic uh, in the OTT CTV space. Um, okay. okay. One. Another one, I guess I'd say is kind of this, uh, this rush from the OEMs into CTV and OTT. Uh, and so, what? so, so the, o when I say the word OEMs, right. I mean, basically like the big TV manufacturers, right. Okay. So, uh, you know, in the past, Samsung, LG, Vizio, okay, okay. primarily, mm -hmm. right? Like they, they haven't been major players, but they're really coming on strong right now. Okay. Um, and, you know, if I think about walled gardens, right? So I, I think about walled gardens as it pertains to digital, you know, my mind goes to Google, Facebook, Amazon, and the walled gardens are super powerful, right? They control mm -hmm. over 60, 65% of all ad spend, uh, all digital ad spend. And, why are they powerful, right? So they established themselves, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago because they were really, really powerful publishers, right? So they were the biggest publishers in the space. They had the most traffic, the most audiences, the most data. And then they built ad tech on top of it. And they had kind of, you know, a, a moat, like a, just a built-in moat to their business. And that's how they built this big walled garden, right? So now if I think about, you know, in the year 2023, what are the new frontiers in digital? Obviously, CTV is leading the pack in terms of like, okay, we know this is going to be huge. Obviously, it's going to be huge. Who is positioned like Google or Facebook or Amazon from 10, 15, 20 years ago for this new kind of future realm of CTV? Well, it's kind of these device companies, right? Because yeah. they, have, they have a very interesting flywheel, right? Like their flywheel is their content creators, right? So Samsung has a very popular Avod app called Samsung TV Plus, Roku, mm -hmm has a very popular app called the Roku channel, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so, the, and then also with their carriage agreements with the apps, they actually get access to, you know, 30% of the inventory from the apps that are on their devices. So they own some of the inventory. They obviously have tremendous data, ACR data, automated content recognition data. They're mm -hmm. the biggest 
biggest kind of owners of that data. And that's very mm -hmm. powerful in CTV, especially because cookies are not a thing in CTV. Yeah. And to me, like they have an opportunity to be, you know, maybe not as big as Facebook, Google, or Amazon, but that's kind of how I'm thinking about them big picture, if they can execute properly, obviously a lot of ifs there. Mm -hmm. um, but that's, it's interesting to see them rush into the space over the last few years. Hi, did you know that at Ellen Parker Consulting, we now offer an accelerator program where we attract, recruit, and train future marketers. And their training include a six weeks program where they cover programmatic landscape, um, industry, important industry trends, the differences between targeting placement and targeting mix and their best practices, including optimization and reporting hacks. Um, and they're able to set up manage and monitor a campaign, a demo campaign in the trade desk, everything including audience selection, inventory optimization, SPO, creative upload, brand safety, you name it. They're able to do it at the end of the six weeks program. So if you are part of the 90% of employers struggling to find a skilled candidate today and not willing to spend $14,900 on a bad hire, according to Zipia, Give us a call. Let's discuss which one of our five to 10 juniors available every month is the perfect fit for your team. Clients who have hired our juniors have shared that we were able to help them save one to two months on boarding with those juniors. Give us a call right now and let's discuss the solution with you. Right. And okay, so let's take a pause to really talk about ACR real quick because I heard on one of the Ad Exchange podcasts where, uh, Alison Boyle was talking about ACR being uh, the next privacy concern thing. And mm. um, because of the fact that, wait, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, because this is what I, I understood from it. But ACR is this digital footprint that is created based on the content of the household. So it's IP address, I guess, household uh, specific. And if the household is, I don't know, if they are used to watching a certain type of content, then they put a footprint on it. And so that's how this footprint information is given or shared with the advertiser, right? Um, yes. So let me let me add a little bit of nuance to that. Yes. Uh, so so the way ACR data it stands for automated content recognition, and basically what it does is it's it's technology that takes little snippets yeah. from whatever's on the TV, like what's on the glass. So like every few milliseconds, it'll capture a screenshot of what's on the glass. And it'll also maybe use a microphone to capture audio of what's being played, right? Okay. Then it bumps up that that information against a known database of content and ads. Mm -hmm. And it can say, oh, okay, well, this TV watched Olympics at night, watched NBA basketball on Wednesday, watched Hulu, Modern Family yeah. five times this week, saw <laughs> 10 McDonald's ads, right? So it's basically like, you know how we do behavioral tracking yeah. and targeting mm -hmm. on the web using cookies, ACR data is kind of like doing that for a television. Okay. Okay. Okay, cool. So is a privacy concern from the fact that the consumer don't understand what's happening in the back end on their TV screen, or is it just like the fact that it's just advertising and they don't want to, they don't want to give us, they don't want to let us be great. Which one is it? <laughs> I think I have an idea. Um, Which one is it? <laughs> so so let, let, let's try to answer that. Let's try to crowdsource that answer if we can. So jump into the chat. Or come off mute. Does anybody know, did anybody know that their television is taking little snapshots of what they're watching every few milliseconds and maybe capturing audio from it? And now that you know that, do you think that's creepy and weird or not? What do you, what do you all think? Creepy? Yes or no? 
Nah. It's not creepy? You don't think so, Carrie? <laughs> I mean, they already got to know what I'm watching. Okay, well, kind of. Yeah, Car- Carrie's a no. Carlos is a yes. Rose is a yes. I'm a yes. I think that's pretty creepy. Uh, so that's the privacy concern, right? And we're, we're ads people, right? They need to pay me, Carlos said. (laughs) Yeah, they need to pay you, right? Exactly. So, so like, here's the thing. I bought a new LG TV maybe like six months ago and Mm -hmm. I set it up. And one of the first things that it prompted me for when I was setting it up was like, Hey, we're going to collect some data for advertising purposes. That's the ACR data capture prompt, Right. Mm -hmm. And when I consented to it, I kind of knew what was going on. 99% of people have no clue what that means, Mm -hmm. right? And so this idea of just like, oh, well, we asked people for consent and now we can just capture everything they're watching all the time. That's not privacy invasive. Like that's where the gray area is, right, Ellen? That's what we're talking about when it comes to privacy concerns. Yeah, but isn't it like a really long white page? Because I remember talking to my husband about it just a couple of weeks ago when I listened. I was like, did this happen with any of our TV? He's like, yeah. I was like, I don't remember. He's like, yeah, because you set it up. Like that, you don't set it up. I set it up, but I knew for a fact it was your people in advertising that are trying to track something. But I said, yes, you know, because I know you work in advertising. Yeah, but here's the thing. He probably just wanted to watch something and he was just like, yes, 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 yes. Yep. Yeah. So, like that, I mean, that's that is the that is the ongoing existential conundrum with privacy in our space, right? Yeah. And what I mean by that is like, Hmm. I think some people think, and a lot of times regulators are just like, consent is the answer, right? If Hmm. I can get somebody to click yes on a box, I can do whatever I want. And my, my view of privacy is a little different. It's people don't know what they're saying yes to. So Hmm. we need to do things more proactively to protect people. And so I'm, I'm a little bit on like, Hey, I don't think that's enough. But then I'm also not Apple and Google, right? I'm somewhere in the middle where it's like, we got to do more to protect people's privacy. We still have to enable the open web and tracking for advertising purposes because that subsidizes consumer usage of a lot of great tools and products. So we've got to find like the right middle ground there. It's not this extreme or that extreme. Yeah, Alex Carlos said in the the comments, like it's not informed consent. So there you go. Thank you, Carlos. I agree. So, you know, when you compare, I mean, ACR does remind me a little bit of the purpose of cookies, right? From a publisher's perspective. And that'll be the last question before we go back into your bullet bullet points. Okay. Um, but are those OEM going to use this ACR data to maybe customize what we're going to start seeing on TV? Um, solely advertising purpose, like for advertisers. Because publishers, yeah. it was created, you know, cookies were created to make it our experience a little bit better. And, you know, did you forget to, to buy this or here's similar items? Is that going to be the same? Hey, here's similar, here's similar something. Um, that's a really good question, Ellen. I, I, I don't know the, I'm an ads guy, so I don't quite know the answer. If I'm kind of like spitballing a little bit and riffing on that, I think it's already happening to a certain extent. Like I think, okay. you know, if you just think about Netflix and their recommendation engine, right? Your right, recommendation- at the app level. Your recommendations look way different than mine, right? Uh, Based on our tastes and what we watch. So there's already some kind of fingerprinting or whatever you want to call it happening that customizes our connected TV experience. I would imagine programmers and content creators will continue down that path. Mm -hmm. Uh, Of course, I primarily think of it from an ads lens. And the answer from an ads perspective is like, yeah, absolutely. Yes, ACR data is going to change the ads that we see. Uh, based on what the ACR data knows about our viewing habits and our consumption and what we like and yeah. what we don't. Yeah. Okay. Okay, cool. So um, let's get back into your list of, of trends that we need to pay attention to. Yeah. So first, the first one is measurement. 
and how it's, you know, there's no one currency right now, how it's all there's changing. Nielsen and iSpot TV. Yep. The second one is the emergence of these new CTV OEM walled gardens. Mm-hmm. Um, oof, I need a number three, huh? If, if I may ask a question yeah, yeah. that yeah, would yeah. lead into number three, what yeah. the heck is happening with Netflix? Oh, that's a good one. What's happening with Netflix? Okay, that's that's my third one. You gave me my third one, Ellen. Here you go. So You're welcome. Thank you. Uh, my, my third one. So my third one, and Netflix is a part of it, is the world is no longer divided between SVOD, AVOD, TVOD, BVOD, right? right. right? And fast. The world is all, all of these apps are going to be all of the things, right? And so, you know, we saw that initially when, you know, Hulu, I think was a pioneer here where Hulu said, you know what? We're going to have ads and we're going to have subscriptions. We're going to be AVOD and SVOD. And then Hulu said, you know what? We're going to have live TV. So we're going to be, uh, you know, we're going to be an MVPD and -hmm. we're also going to have fast, right? So like Hulu, I think kind of set the bar. And then Netflix, obviously last year said, well, we need an ad supported tier as well. So we're going to be AVOD and SVOD, uh, Paramount, HBO Max, go down the list. Every, all of these big apps now Mm -hmm. are doing both or or multiple things, multiple monetization models. And it it makes a ton of sense Mm -hmm. because- they want to be able to appeal to as many consumers as possible. And there's now there's this fragmentation of content and apps, right? So it's no longer just a world where me as a consumer, I just have, I have to have Netflix. So I'm willing to pay for it. If I don't want to pay $15 a month for Netflix, I can go watch great content on Pluto for free or Tubi for free, right? And so Netflix has to go in that direction. Hulu had to go in that direction. Uh, and so I think what's interesting about this moment right now is, you know, in any nascent industry or sector, there's always fragmentation before there's consolidation, right? Uh, And so what's happening right now is this crazy fragmentation of all these apps. There's all these apps. Everybody wants to charge money. Everyone wants to have an ad supported tier. Over time, I think what we're going to start seeing is a lot more aggregation of the apps. I think a lot of the apps are going to say, we're going to get out of the standalone business and we're just going to sell our content and our inventory through fast apps or other kind of aggregation apps that have most of the demand, the consumer demand. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think there's going to be consolidation over time. It's just going to be interesting to see what dictates that consolidation, right? Is it because Amazon did such an awesome job creating a flywheel with ads or Roku did an awesome job creating flywheel with ads that the consolidation went in that direction? Or did, um, you know, did Google do a really good job of creating the software layer for the TVs, which then gave them access to the most data which mm-hmm. then, you know, got them the most consumers, which then, then led them to have the most kind of leverage with the apps, right? So there's a lot of different kind of variables here that could dictate which direction the consolidation happens in. But monitoring that right now is going to be fascinating. So I think one quick break to identify and understand all the acronyms because we love a good acronym. Sorry. Sorry. So, no, it's good. It's good. Because you said fast and I was like, what the fuck is fast now? <laughs> but SVOD is subscription video on demand. So it's like HBO Max. So, right. You yeah. don't have, you don't have any commercials on it or ads. Mm-hmm. Um, AVOD is ad supported video on demand. So uh, I don't know, Prime, Hulu, something like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you said fast. What the heck is fast? Fast. Great question. So fast stands for free ad supported television. So, yeah, so the idea is, and now got it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you're watching an app and it's kind of like a live stream. So the key with SVOD and AVOD Mm -hmm. are they are video on demand. So I pull it up and I can watch whatever I want, whenever I want to watch it. Fast is a little bit more of like a TV live streaming feed and Mm -hmm. you're not paying for anything. 
Nope, YouTube TV is not fast because Ooh. it's not free. It's not free, right? Oh, okay, 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 okay. All right, all right, all right. right? So where is YouTube TV then? YouTube TV is a virtual MVPD. <laughs> oh man. But here's the thing, right? So YouTube TV, it's so this is why it's complicated, right? YouTube TV is a virtual MVPD. YouTube TV is also SVOD because you got to pay for it. And you can now watch on-demand content on YouTube TV. Mm-hmm. It's AVOD because it is subsidized by ads, right? It's not completely free, but it is ad supported. And so that's what I, like all of this gets very confusing very fast because there's overlap, right? Like something that is fast can mm-hmm. also be SVOD and AVOD based mm-hmm. on what I just explained, right? So kind of understanding the terms is important. Understanding the, the gray areas and the overlap between them is important. And just understanding that there's like, like there's not always just like, oh, this is the right answer. There's like different ways to approach it and think about it. Right. Um, and, and yeah, like just keep an open mind, I guess. So when we say fragmentations, yeah. okay, we talk about how each of those new wall gardens, right? Because we're going to call them wall gardens now. Mm-hmm. We talk about how they measure audience performance mm-hmm. and give that data back to the advertiser. And the advertiser in this case is like literally us managing that campaign. If it's not a direct, let's say if we're buying it via DSP. This fragmentation of CTV reminds me of the fragmentation of third-party cookies way back when, when big data was hot and sexy. I don't know if you remember, because like each data providers w- would package their audience in a way that would not communicate. And so you had to buy this segment and then buy this segment, but it was the same damn thing, but it was two different providers. Mm-hmm. So do you think this is what's happening with the streaming world where we kind of can, we can call it programmatic because fundamentally we bought it via that technology and it's automated, mm-hmm. but it is coming back to having like that direct one-on-one, like one-to-one deals because Magnite has this particular one. And then I don't know, somebody else has this particular one. Mm -hmm. And now we have like six deals to deal with instead of just a big one. Yeah. You think that's that? I think that's right. Uh, I agree with that general premise. Um, So the way I would describe it is you know, uh, let's do another poll of the audience. Everyone jump into the chat, come off mute. I want to hear from you. Uh, how many apps on your smart TV do you regularly use? How many do you Shit. regularly use? I think about this one. Start with you, Ellen. How many? Um, so Netflix, Prime, and then Disney Plus. So definitely the hot ones, and then HBO Max because this is The Last mm-hmm. of Us was on air and Game of Thrones. That's pretty much it. And then yeah. all the other apps is for my daughter. Okay. Five. Five. Yes. Let's say five. Let's say five. Four to five. Okay, yeah. What about what about the rest of the group, Carlos? But I have like twelve or twenty on the Roku app that are just there. Yeah, they just sit there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what what about everyone else? Carlos, Carrie, Rose, Anoop, Manuela. How many apps do you regularly use on your CTV device? Probably about four. Four. Okay. Mine is uh, mine are Netflix, uh, Disney Plus, uh, YouTube TV, the NBA app. I watch a lot of NBA games. Oh yeah, Prime uh, has the NBA app for Jay. I just yeah, use one. That. I just use Netflix and I don't have a TV. I use everything on my computer. <laughs> Yo, but you're also in Latin America, right? You're in um, Argentina. So is it more popular but from a consumer perspective in your region to have one uh, or two? No, I guess like people use probably like a few like TV channels are getting very popular because they're 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 there and then there's like netflix disney channel espn probably 
but I just prefer the computer on my cell phone than just rather than watching like TV. <laughs> Power to you, girl. I love that's, it. That's well, okay. So, and then here's my next question. Which smart TV or smart device do you use to get your TV to connect to the internet? I use, uh, I have a LG TV or I, and downstairs I have a Google stick, a Google TV stick. What do you guys use? Roku, Samsung? What, what's your smart TV? Um, LG, I think we have LG upstairs, okay. Sony in the main cave, and then Samsung. <laughs> okay. So listen. But he has a fire stick in the Samsung, uh, in the main cave, and then we have the Roku, like I said, okay. on the Samsung. So, so listen, we all kind of rattled off some of the same apps, and we all said we watched five or six, four or five, six. Yep. Rose we all probably have, you know, maybe five to 10 different devices, maybe that we use to connect to the TV. And we also, uh, you know, we, we watch a lot of TV probably, and the whole world watches a lot of TV and we all know that CTV is the big thing, right? Like that's what's happening and that's where the growth is going to be right now. If you're one of those big players, if you're Samsung, if you're Sony, if you're, uh, uh, Hulu, if you're mm-hmm. Disney plus, right. You're sitting there thinking there's a gold rush and I am one of the 10 players that has an opportunity to capitalize on this gold rush, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. If, if I'm going to win this game, I'm not going to share my stuff with anybody else. I'm not sharing my data. I'm not sharing my inventory. I'm not sharing my stuff with any of these other guys that are sitting in this little ring with me of potential winners of this massive uh, gold rush, right? I want to have all the gold for myself. So right now we're in the situation where this is a very valuable environment, but there's only 10 players really that matter. And none of them want to play nice with each other, right? Um, and over time, and this is kind of the early fragmentation conundrum. And because we have this conundrum, it makes life really hard for marketers, right? They can't run campaigns that are holistic across multiple apps or multiple devices where all the data talks nicely to each other. It's all in the same currency. You can target, you can frequency cap, like all of that stuff. None of that stuff works right now because of this early, early days fragmentation problem. Now, what's going to happen over time is more and more consumers are going to come on TV. They're going to download more apps. More apps are going to come up, right? And then all of a sudden, the biggest ones are going to lose value and power because there's so many other ones coming up. And that's already happened in Netflix, right? We already saw that happen in Netflix. And if you think about the web, right? Go back to the 1990s. There was a few publishers that really mattered in the 90s. It was Yahoo, maybe it was Ask Jeeves, Microsoft. That's about it. Those guys had all the leverage in the world to sell display ad inventory however they wanted to. It was early days, gold rush fragmentation. But over time, the web had gazillions of publishers. <laughs> along comes ad tech. Along comes DSPs and SSPs. And they commoditize all of it, right? Mm-hmm. So now, as a buyer, like no one publisher on display inventory matters all that much because there's gazillions of them, right? So we're early day CTV right now. As it grows, as people come on TV more and watch more apps, as supply grows, those top apps, some of them will stay strong and say, we're not sharing anything. Maybe that's Netflix and Disney and three or three others. But then the rest of them are going to say, hey, listen, we're ready to play ball. Let's go sell our inventory and our data through a DSP and an SSP, right? So mm-hmm. that's that's where we are headed. It's just going to be interesting to see what pushes certain companies in what direction over time, you know? Mm, um, I know, I know you had a question. Did he answer the question? Cause I think Anoop's question was, what is it all about the second screen and how would it impact CTV? 
That's a great question. Um, so the second screen I would assume is mobile, right? Or okay. you know, you're watching, you're, you're co-viewing, right? So you're watching mm -hmm. TV and then you're, you're holding your phone. You know, mm -hmm. I do this all the time. I'm watching NBA basketball and I'm also tweeting all day. Yeah. Um, yeah. All day about like, Oh, NBA basketball, blah, 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 blah. Oh, this game, blah, 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 blah. Right. So the second screen is really, really important, right? Cause it's a way it's a different experience. The screen is a different experience from the television. It's more lean in. It's more engaging. Uh, you can do a lot more with a user on that second screen. I think the key is how can you make the connection between mm -hmm. those two screens and then use them with each other to drive that user to view, view more, to engage more, to make that experience better for them. And then ultimately that drives a value, right? For publishers, for right. the device manufacturers, for advertisers at the end of the day. Yeah. And also, I think that's why your QR codes have become a thing mm -hmm. now in some of the, the commercials. I mean, some of the commercial TV ads, whichever it is. Good question. Thank you for asking, Anoop. Because um, I told him, I don't know if I understand. And then you explained it. I was like, oh, that's where the second screen is. Okay, got it. <laughs> you have Manuel, a question? Manuel, I think, came off mute. Yeah. Yeah, guys. Hi, sorry. Uh, I, I did have a question because, uh, like, I... I read this image that someone posted today on LinkedIn, which I thought it was uh, very representative of like CTV uh, inventory, that it was like, uh, like in percentage, like the percentage of users worldwide that have connected TV and that use Roku devices, it was 4%. And you know, the majority of the inventory for CTV comes from Roku. So who's watching these ads? Like, what are like those inventory coming from? Yeah, so Manuel, this might be a regional difference, right? But like Roku in the US at least is the largest device. Uh, it has the most penetration uh, in terms of uh, connected TV devices. Uh, I want to say, I don't know the numbers actually. I wanted to, I want to say it's somewhere between like 30 to 40% of all smart TVs in the United States use a Roku device. Uh, I'm not 100% sure on that number, but they are the number one. I know that. Uh, and, and they're not like running away with it. They have competition. Like I think Fire TV is also very popular in the United States. I think that's number two. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to say Samsung maybe is number three. Um, but Roku is very popular here in the, in, in the United States. And that's why they control a lot of inventory, at least in the US, right? So the reason they control the inventory is because they have their own apps, right? Like Roku channel, very popular app. Um, uh, but they also get 30% of the ad inventory from all the apps that are on Roku devices. That's huge, right? So mm -hmm. if, you know, if you're Pluto and you're like, hey, I want my app to be on Roku, Roku says, that sounds great. We'll take your app and 30% of your ad inventory as well. So that's that's their business model. Um, now in Argentina, I'm not sure, like Roku probably has much less penetration. Um, and so they're probably more so acting mm -hmm. like an ad tech middleman in that market where they're buying the inventory um, through other providers as an SSP or as, you know, as just like a, a middleman. Uh, and then they're reselling it through their platform. Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, like they, there, there's a large penetration, like Roku as well in Latin America. Uh, apparently, have most of the users, but again, like most of the users, they don't watch like Roku apps, but they normally use like YouTube and Netflix. So it's the majority of like what they're watching or the usage of the apps are apps that don't have ads. So mm -hmm. that was more like sorry, I couldn't explain myself better. <laughs> No, no, no. That, that makes sense. Yeah. So if there's no ads, uh, then obviously there's no ads. Right. But if 
they're watching, let's say YouTube. Well, then YouTube probably controls almost 100% of those ads, right? So like YouTube didn't negotiate with Roku, right? Like Roku was like, you, YouTube, you can have all the ads. We're not, we have no leverage in this discussion. YouTube is probably keeping 100% of their ads, even on Roku yeah. devices. Um, but, uh, and, and that's, you know, that's, that means YouTube has a ton of power, but mm -hmm. Roku is probably, you know, getting 30% from a lot of the other ad supported ads mm -hmm. uh, or ad supported apps that are on the Roku mm -hmm. devices. And then Roku is also probably buying aggressively uh, through the SSPs, right? So like they may not have proprietary access to monetize, let's say YouTube's ads hundred um, percent. And I know they can't actually access them through the exchange because only Google, Google has access to YouTube ads, but let's say, you know, for another app, let's say it's Pluto, right? Um, YouTube, or sorry, Roku gets 30% of the inventory and they get 100% of the revenue they generate from that inventory, but then they may be buying another 80% of Pluto's ads through SSPs, right? And paying Pluto for them, but then also making arbitrage on them as the DSP, if that makes sense, right? So they're not only just saying, hey, we own 30% of inventory, they're also acting like an, an, an ad network of sorts where they're buying more and then reselling that at a higher price to make margin, right? They're an ad tech company. They own DataZoo, right? One view is DataZoo basically. So um, that's probably a reason, Manuel. They're probably just big on the ad tech side of things in that market, which is why maybe they're controlling a lot of the inventory. Right, right. Thank you so much for answering. Yeah, and I'm not 100% sure. I don't know that market that well, so. That's actually a great question because I had no idea how Roku monetize at all, at all. That's very interesting. Well, you got to think of Roku again, think of them as a walled garden, right? So like, yeah. what does Google do? Google owns some of their own inventory and then they make a hundred percent margin on that, you know, because they're not paying anybody for it. And yeah. that's inventory on YouTube. That's inventory on Google maps, on Gmail, right? But then they're also the biggest buyer and, and reseller of other people's inventory, right? Mm -hmm. So Roku is doing the same thing in CTV. They have their own stuff which they make a hundred percent on, but then they're reselling, they're buying and reselling like an ad tech, like any ad tech company. Mm, got it. Hmm, interesting. Any other questions guys? Go oh, hi. All right. What do you, what else, Lynn? Are we getting into anything else today or is that a wrap? It is. It looks like it's a wrap. This conversation was really, really, really good. Um, all right. So leave us with a word of wisdom, right? Um, whatever you want to share, whatever's on your heart, leave us with a word of wisdom. Okay. Here's my word of wisdom. Um, I think we're all going through tough time right now, probably to a certain extent. It's a tough time. Yeah. Uh, economy is in a tough place. It's tough on the ad industry. Um, you know, I, I guess my word of wisdom is like, it's very cliche, but, you know, I think that, you know, keep your head up. Uh, I think that things are going to get better sooner rather than later. Uh, and there's, there's plenty of opportunity out there still. So just, you know, go out and get it. Um, don't be down on your luck, right? Like there's, there's a lot of good stuff going on in our industry. There's a lot of innovation still, you know, in every downturn in history, the people that are the most creative and innovative yeah. and aggressive come out doing the best on the other side. Right. And there will be another side probably pretty soon. So, you know, keep your head up, stay creative, stay innovative. The only way you can do that is if you, you retain kind of an optimistic and positive mindset. So that's my, uh, that's what I'm going to leave you with. That's excellent. Well, thank you so much for gracing the community call today. Um, Shiv's information will be in, you know, the show description on YouTube. Um, this episode is actually not going to go live until mid-April to late April. And Shiv and Miles are going to come back one more time together, um, like a double threat. 
in three weeks or two weeks. Okay. So definitely keep in touch in Slack to, to, um, to track that. But uh, Shiv has a newsletter. I'll share this information. Trust me, it is absolutely worth it. And they also, U of Digital has a, uh, has a course. So if you, a lot of y'all have been asking about like, you know, streaming, identity, privacy, he has a few modules on his website. So I'll share, um, I'll share some information about that. Strongly recommend, strongly recommend to check out his course. Okay. So thank you again for, for coming on the, on the community call. This was amazing. Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. It was great talking to everybody. Thanks, Alana.